best friends and introverts, welcome back to the You're So Quiet podcast, or welcome if you're joining us for the very first time. As always, I am your host, Chelsea Brown. We are back to our regular solo episode programming this week. It was really fun having a guest, and I'd be open to having more if you have any suggestions. But I also just kind of like chatting with my best friends, you know? So let's talk about our mental health this week. This is your opportunity to check in with yourself. We're going to rate our mental health from one to five, one being absolutely horrible, five being absolutely amazing. So for me, I'm at like a two, if I'm just being very honest with you. I've had just kind of a lot of stuff going on, and it seems like there's not enough time in the day. I have like house projects that I'm trying to manage. My dog is sick again. I'm rewriting my book. I got I got a letter from the IRS yesterday saying that someone stole my identity, so that's amazing. Oh, and don't don't forget that I have horrifically bad allergies. So if I sound congested, sorry about it, but we we just got to keep on going. The tree pollen in Texas is just off the charts genuinely, and I'm not allergic to anything else except for like blueberries. So when the pollen count is really, really high, it actually gives me vertigo, which um, if you've never experienced vertigo, it literally feels like the entire room is spinning and I can't like stand steadily or anything. It's like a whole situation and it's kind of messing up my day because it makes me really nauseated, which isn't super conducive for getting stuff done. Like I just kind of want to go lay down and go to sleep, but I can't because I have other things to do. So all of that combined, I'm at about a two is what it is, but we can only move up, right? Like next week is going to be better. I just have a feeling it has to be better, right? So just check in with yourself too, and just remember that it's not a competition. You're not trying to be better or worse than me. You are just trying to check on yourself see how you're doing, see why you're feeling that way, and maybe come up with a way to make yourself feel better. Self-care is very important. I feel like as we move into spring, we see everybody like doing these new beginning things. And it's just, it can be a lot. Like it can be a time for a lot of comparison, especially if you see people on social media and they're starting their gardens or they're going on vacations or whatever. And you're like, man, why am I not doing any of those things? Worry about yourself. And I mean that in the most loving way possible. If we focus on ourselves more often and on others less often, I feel that our mental health can only improve. Anyway, (laughs) this week, instead of doing my normal book, TV show, or movie of the week, I thought I'd do something a little bit different. So I'm going to call this episode, I Watched It So You Don't Have To, and I watched Bad Vegan on Netflix. You might have heard of this. It is a true crime mini docu-series on Netflix. It has four parts. Each part is about an hour-ish, 50 to 60 minutes. The synopsis is, after marrying a mysterious man who claimed he could make her dog immortal, a celebrated vegan restaurateur finds her life veering off the rails. The synopsis to me sounds interesting, but a little wild. (laughs) A little bit wild. And I've actually heard great reviews about this thing, so I wanted to watch it for you guys because I had like a feeling that it was not going to live up to the hype. For me... 
I wish I had an episode like this where I could just listen to a basic synopsis, know the main points of what happened, and not have wasted four hours of my life watching this thing. So I do that for you. Before I get going, I will say that one of the cool things about this documentary series is that there are actual audio recordings and video recordings of the people involved. And I think that adds like a whole other layer of like authenticity, you know? I thought that was really cool. A little crazy that they had these, but they do talk about it in the documentary and I will talk about it for you. So I'm going to try to make this like 30 to 40 minutes tops because we're all about like not wasting our time on these crazy, crazy documentaries. Based on the synopsis, I had very little faith that it was going to be good. So I'll just break it down part by part, four parts. And if you had not realized up to this point, there will definitely be spoilers. So if you want to watch it, I think that you could listen to this and watch it at the same time and have kind of a better understanding of what's going on. But if you want to watch it and don't want any spoilers, I would watch it first and then come back to this episode because I'm obviously going to be giving my opinion because I may be quiet, but I have stuff to say. <laughs> okay, so let's just jump in. Part one is called Mr. and Mrs. Fox. The main woman that the series follows is named Sarma Melangelis. She is described as an introvert, so obviously that like endears me to her right off the bat. That would rather be at home hanging out with her dog. Same. So this woman starts a business and it's a restaurant called Pure Food and Wine Restaurant. And she also has like a takeout version called One Lucky Duck. And it's all raw vegan food. She starts this restaurant with her business partner and then boyfriend, Matthew Kinney. And this restaurant is described as like the spot to be and is frequented by celebrities. So her boyfriend is eventually asked to leave the restaurant by the main investor, Jeffrey Chodero, because Matthew is a good chef, but he's not seen as good with money and it's not beneficial to the business. So this Jeffrey person buys out his portion of the company and then sells the whole thing to Sarma. So she then has the restaurant, but she also kind of buys the debt as well, which ends up being around $2 million. The restaurant is hers at this point, but she does have investors. It seems to be going well. It's very popular. Sarma is actually interviewed for the documentary. So again, that authenticity, I think, is definitely there. However, I will say that Sarma is interviewed, but the main male person in this fraud scandal is not interviewed. So take that as you will. Sarma talks about how celebrities come to her restaurant and that one Alec Baldwin also comes to the restaurant and has a crush on her. And this is mentioned like a bunch of times and felt very like Tahani from The Good Place. If you've ever seen The Good Place, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen The Good Place, you need to go watch it immediately. The story goes on. Sarma meets some dude named Shane Fox on Twitter dude knows Alec Baldwin, like they interact or whatever on Twitter, and that is what makes Sarma feel like she can trust this guy. And they develop a long-distance relationship. And right off the bat, this, this relationship is weird for me. Not like that you met online. Like, I've met friends online. Online dating is super popular. Like, fine, whatever. But he says stuff that's, like, really, really strange. He says he could pick her up under one arm and her dog under the other, and she says that that was appealing to her. Like, that's a 
bizarre thing to say and not like a quality that I look for in a partner, but to each their own. I'm not trying to kink shame anyone. To me, it was just a little bit like, hmm, that's a, that's a weird thing to say. They finally meet. He comes to New York. He does not look like his pictures. Like typical met someone online type of thing. She notes that he was heftier. Like he weighed more in person than he looked like he weighed in in his original photos. But she says her dog really liked him. So she's like, oh, I can trust this guy. And one million percent, that is the logic I would use for sure. So far, it seems a little weird, but I'm kind of on board. And then they talk about how the people in Sarma's life are like, who the heck is this guy? What does he do for work? He says that he's involved in black ops, quote unquote, and he won't really talk about what he does. And Sarma doesn't know what he does. Friends don't know what he does. And he says he can't tell her for her own safety. And obviously there's no way to confirm or deny that he's a spy because there's no like PDF online of like list of spies in the U.S. That would be stupid. Because of that piece of information that he tells her, the fact that he has loose diamonds on his person in manila envelopes seems fine to her. Weird to me. The fact that he disappears for days on end and then resurfaces seems fine to her, given like what he said that he does. Still weird to me. Even weirder is that he is starting to ask her for money. $6,000, $10,000, and she gives it to him. And at this point, I noticed that it seemed like the documentary is really going out of its way to paint Sarma as this like super generous person with a bleeding heart. They talk about how she would always give this homeless man on the corner money and like they became friends. It was a whole thing. And that just seemed like a strange thing to interject into this documentary. And it seems like the only reason that they would do that is to be like, oh, she's just so giving. Like she would give to just people that she doesn't know. To me, giving money to someone on the street is completely different than giving someone a $10,000 check. That's completely different. The red flags be flying. <laughs> okay. One day, this Shane Fox person calls Sarma's office to speak to her. The office personnel notice that the caller ID doesn't say Shane Fox. It says Anthony Strangis. The people at the office Google the name find this Anthony Strange's person and his mugshot and arrest record. But they try to give him the benefit of the doubt because he's dating Sarma. Sarma seems happy. Like, let's just let people be, right? So Sarma confronts him and she's like, dude, what the heck? He's like, well, of course I have multiple identities for my work. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm good on this. Like, I've given you money and this just is freaking me out. So she goes to the country to stay with her mother in New Hampshire. And she says that the time there was miserable. Shane reaches out, or Anthony, whatever the heck his name is, reaches out, offers to drive her back to New York. She's like, okay, fine. And it turns out that he brings his father, who corroborates his story about his black ops work or whatever. And I'm like, all right, so is that actually his father? I don't know. Lots of question marks at this point. So they're back in New York and Shane is clearly trying to woo Sarma. He's taking her to jewelry stores, buying her all sorts of gifts. He's taking her to nice restaurants. And eventually she tells him that she loves him. They then start looking at buying houses together. They were planning to buy a house for $15 million in New York City. 
Shane tells the realtor, oh yeah, I have properties, I have millions of dollars in offshore accounts, no problem. But the money never materializes, so they never buy the townhome. Meanwhile, Sarma is still writing checks for $10,000 to Shane, the quote-unquote multimillionaire. So Shane is like, yeah, I have millions of dollars, they're just in offshore accounts, hard to get to, but, you know, I'd love to help you pay off your debt with the restaurant because, you know, you've been so generous with me. I really want to go ahead and help you with that. So Sarma's asking lawyers like, okay, so what would the taxation be on that? Because that's a lot of money. So these two people end up getting married and he does not help her wipe out the debt. No one in their life knew that they got married until after the event. People in Sarma's life noted that she didn't seem excited about this at all. She's like, oh yeah, I'm married. And Shane did seem excited about this. Shane tells Sarma, oh, you're protected now by the government because I'm black ops, so you are also then protected. Which, I mean, seems fine. But as part of this protection, he's like, hey, this is my associate, Will Richards, and I need you to give him all of your passwords, all of your bank information, all of your passport info, everything because he's just gonna, you know, lock everything down and make sure that you are safe. And so she does. So immediately I'm like, okay, so Will Richards doesn't exist, especially because she never actually meets him in person. She only IMs him or talks to him via email. Obviously dude doesn't exist. But then the episode wraps up with the introduction of someone named Will Richards all on the screen. He's like, I'm Will Richards. And I was in charge of making sure that Sarma didn't go off the rails. Like, so you do exist? Like, who are you and why are you doing this? So naturally, I let the five seconds pass and watch the next episode. Part two is called Happily Ever After. Will Richards is apparently involved in this like black ops thing with Shane too. Sarma sends all her passwords and she admits that they never actually meet in person. If you were requesting all of my passwords, all my bank info, like I have to at least meet you in person. I'm kind of expecting to see some kind of NDA or contract or whatever stating that you will not release this information, but it doesn't sound like that was ever asked for or ever presented to her, but she gave him all this info anyway. But if she trusts Shane, I guess, I guess it would make sense. I don't know. For me, I'm not a super trusting person, so... Maybe I'm not like the target audience <laughs> for this particular scam. And at this point, I'm like certain that it's a scam because there's no reason for you to be asking me for money if you are working on like government work. The government should be paying for this for you. You know what I mean? Like you don't fund your own black ops mission. It's not like being a teacher where you have to fund your own classroom activities. I would hope it's not the same. Anyway, and by the way, bananas that teachers have to pay out of pocket for anything for their kids. We should pay teachers more. Anywho, Shane then starts really going off the rails for me. I mean, takes a dramatic left turn at Crazy Junction because he starts telling Sarma that Leon, her dog, was his dog in a past life. He calls her a TBH, which means tiny blonde human, and says that he's more than human and she will be someday too. He tells her that he's going to make her and her dog immortal, and he says that money should be no obstacle, it should be no object. 
So she is told that she needs to wire whatever he asks for to him to prove her commitment to this process of becoming more than human. She does. And for the record, he does return some of her money to her, but not all of it. Sarma says that everything happened so gradually that she ended up believing him. I don't know how gradually something would have to happen for me to believe that someone is an alien. You know what I mean? But that's just me. People interviewed in the show say that because she's a vegan, she's also surrounded by like mysticism and new age stuff. So that's why she was able to believe this. But I don't know that I buy that. Like I know people who are vegan and it doesn't mean that you like have no access to logic. You know what I mean? Not saying that aliens don't exist. I would find it very hard to believe that we're the only sentient creatures in the entire solar system, but this particular situation, super weird for me. Back in New York, the restaurants are growing great. She begins to pay off the debt associated with the business. She gives a huge check to Jeffrey, and she seems very proud that she's able to do this. Meanwhile, Shane starts hanging out at the restaurant and acts like he manages it, like it's his restaurant, and he says, you know, Sarma will still be involved, but I also want to be involved in the day-to-day decision-making, which seems weird, right? Seems weird. And during this time, he's still having her wire money, claiming again that it is part of her proving her commitment. She would send upwards of $40,000 at a time. She'd send the money and he'd disappear. Sarma reaches out to this Will Richards person and is like, dude, where is Shane? And he's like, oh, he is in Africa fighting rebels. He'll be back as soon as he can be. Meanwhile, she's like going about her life in New York and Shane will reach out to her occasionally via text or by email and is like, so, hey, why are you going to this restaurant? Why are you seeing this person? What are you doing this for? And these are not things that she told him. So she's like, okay, so how do you know this kind of stuff? Are you monitoring my emails? But she kind of writes it off like, oh, well, he's black ops. So he clearly has access to information that like the average person wouldn't and he's just looking out for me. This is what she tells herself. Shane then starts talking about how she will not only transition out of this tiny blonde human that she is into like this ethereal being, but she will be a queen is what he says. And he starts talking about how it's not like an alien type of queen, it's like a god type of situation. And he's like, it's a test of faith. And if you do everything I tell you, you will be so powerful and you'll get $100,000 a month every month for the rest of your life. And like, I mean, that sounds great, right? Where is this money coming from? Why did you land on $100,000 a month? Because to me, it sounds like she's giving him a lot more than 100 grand a month. So where am I even getting the return on my investment? You know what I mean? To add on to this he would act like people are after him. And this seems very like Tinder swindler. So maybe this is a common scam tactic. So if you're listening, watch out for this with new people that you're dating or talking to or whatever. He would whisk her away saying that, you know, they weren't safe. Uh, We have to stay in a hotel. Oh, we have to keep moving around. And she's like in this very cloak and dagger type of situation. Someone new is then introduced into the conversation, and this person's name is Nazim. He was also approached by Anthony slash Shane to invest in the restaurant. 
Never signed any papers about investment, but it's like, yep, here you go, 35 grand. Shane tells Nazim the same kind of lies that he tells Sarma, but Nazim is like, hey, this doesn't really match up. And Shane doesn't like that. Nazim is questioning him, so they kind of fall out. But Nazim and Sarma have become friends, so she feels like that's someone she can confide in. And so eventually, she is talking to Nazim about everything that's going on, and he's like, hey, you should probably record the conversations that he's having with you over the phone because, like, this seems kind of kind of sketchy and it just might be good to have this information in the future. And, oh, by the way, he's also recording every conversation with you as, like, an old military habit. My whole family's in the military. I don't know that this is a habit. Anyway, so by this point, Sarma has sent him a million dollars and she is over it. She's like, I can't send you any more money. This is ridiculous. I don't know what's happening here. He says she's failing the tests. She just has to trust him. And so she does. And she continues to send him money because she's like, I can't stop at this point. How am I even going to explain to anyone how I ended up in this position in the first place? So over the period of two years, she sent him $1.7 million. Part three, no angels in hell. This starts going more into Anthony's past or Shane's past. His real name is Anthony Strangest, but I kind of get stuck on the Shane. So both names, still him. So Anthony is a gambling addict. He will spend hours and hours at slot machines or playing roulette or whatever, gambling in Vegas. Nazim is still in the picture and gives him another $100,000 for an investment, quote unquote. This seemed really weird to me because I was like, didn't y'all fall out? But I think that Anthony is like, okay, well, you're still willing to invest. So like, whatever, I'll take your money. And Nazim says that he wasn't really willing to walk away from the lifestyle that he enjoyed when he was hanging out with Anthony, which was like fancy hotels, meeting famous people, fancy restaurants. Like he liked that lifestyle. It really seems like they got really close because Anthony had stolen a car at one point, was arrested, and then was released from jail 24 hours later. Nazim is like, yeah, I'll help my friend. You know, no problem. I got you. Anthony then tells Nazim that, you know, he wants to drive by this place. I have to check up on my ex-wife. So Anthony's ex-wife lives in Tampa, Florida. Her name is Stacy Stranges. She has a very similar kind of story that Anthony had told her back in the day which is that demons are hunting me and I need to protect the family. I am a Navy SEAL and I'm recuperating in Florida after being shot in the line of duty. And again, in that situation, the father corroborated everything that Anthony said. And Anthony is telling her, oh, we are reincarnated lovers. We found our way back to each other. And Stacy is kind of caught up in the romance, I think. Eventually, Anthony is like, hey, my aunt died, but she left us $5 million. So these people are expecting a baby and they're, they're spending money that they believe will be on the way. But the check never shows. There was no aunt that left $5 million. So they are dead broke, in debt. She's pregnant. When they have the baby, he's like, did you know that you can kill a baby doing X, Y, and Z and it doesn't show up in an autopsy that was the end for her she's like i i can't be in a situation where you're threatening my child goodbye good for you girl good for you and then it goes back into anthony's past of living 
and being raised in a violent household. His father was a violent alcoholic. And they never actually said if the person that's corroborating his stories all the time is his father or if it's some rando based on what they gave about his past. I think it could be his father, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure they never actually specified. So back with Sarma, Shane is like, I need you to go to Rome. You're in danger. And she thinks that we're going to go together, like her and, and Shane are going to go to Rome together and have this like trip or whatever. Turns out she goes by herself. He puts her up in a quote unquote weird part of town and he has her wire him over $100,000. So she is in Italy, wired him $100,000. He is nowhere to be found. And that $100,000 that she sent made it impossible for the business to run, for her restaurant to run, and it made it impossible to pay the employees. So while she's in Rome, Anthony is setting up this thing with the employees of both of her restaurants, the Pure Food and Wine and the One Lucky Duck, that he's taking over the business. Not just involved anymore, but he is taking it over. Sarma's in Rome, none the wiser, but she's also like messaging Will, like, dude, what is happening? And he's not really able to tell her what's going on. And at this point, I truly can't understand what this Will person is getting out of this situation. So finally, Anthony slash Shane brings Sarma home from Rome, flying her first class. And while Sarma's on the plane, she realizes that the things that Anthony is telling her are like loosely based on the Thor movies. Uh, wild, wild. So she knows this or, or she's, she's seeing this now, but she still isn't quite leaving him. In the background, Shane is reaching out to Sarma's family, to her sister, to her father, like, hey, I want to meet with you without Sarma, though, without Sarma. And they're like, mm, no, I really don't feel comfortable with that. Shane reaches out to Sarma's mother and somehow ropes her into this scheme where he's like, you know, I just really need to help Sarma. She's going through this tough time emotionally, mentally, whatever. I just need your help and I just need someone to talk to. So he kind of brings her into the fold or sticks her in his web or whatever. And if you remember, the business cannot run at this point. So one of the managers at Pure Food and Wine confronts Sarma about the money transfers. Like, we cannot pay our workers. We cannot function as a business. And she fires him. And it becomes very clear that anyone who rocks the boat at the restaurant will be let go. So while Sarma hasn't really left Shane yet, she's pushing back. She's like, hey, so I've given you so much freaking money. What else do I have to do? My, my business is failing. And he becomes very agitated and gaslights her immediately, asking who she's become, where his wife is, the whole shebang. And he's like, you know what? Let's just go to Europe together. They jet off to Europe. They bounce around from place to place. Obviously, they have to move around because he is in danger, quote unquote. While they're there, he tries to get her to get someone else to invest in the business, aka just give him money. They spent a ton of time at casinos as well when they were there. Meanwhile, no one at the restaurant is getting paid still. Sarma keeps telling them next week, next week, um, I'm switching banks, you know, direct deposit issue, whatever. But they're watching her Instagram where she's posting all these photos in these lavish places. And they're like, okay, so I can't pay my rent, but you are living this crazy lifestyle interesting. So the head chef initiates a walkout of all the employees and the restaurant closes. To reopen, Sarma would have to pay back the landlord. There's back rent and obviously she has to pay her workers as well. 
So it takes three months and Sarma raises the money to reopen. Shane turns this around and is like, see, the only reason you were able to reopen is because you trusted the process before and now the universe is like giving back to you. But Sarma is like, okay, dude, like I worked my butt off to get this back open after you drove it into the ground. So it seems like she's kind of starting to see that this is not a good situation and yet she still has not left. And he's like, you're so close to getting everything you want. Uh, Don't mess it up. Don't walk away from me. Don't give up now kind of thing. Nazim, who is still in the story after they had a falling out and then came back together, is personally depositing money for payroll from the restaurant because he doesn't trust Anthony. But workers don't know or trust Nazim And frankly, I completely agree with them because Nazim seems like he is Anthony 2.0. You know what I mean? So I don't trust him as far as I can throw him, which I have very weak arms. So Sarma and Anthony are fighting and having trouble in their relationship because she found out that he was using her email that he has access to to talk to her investors. And this is also how he was able to kind of keep an eye on her, on her whereabouts, who she's talking to, where she's going. So she's frustrated and she's talking to Will. She's like, I can't believe that any of this is happening. And I feel so paranoid, but I just feel like it's possible that you're not you. I think that you could just be Shane behind a keyboard. He's like, well, why do you think that? And she says, well, whenever I'm talking to you, it's when I'm not around Shane. And he's like, you know, you could be right, but you'll never know because Shane could have hired someone just to fill the role of me and blah, 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 the whole thing. Like confirming that she could have just been being paranoid, but she would never be able to find out because Shane is so smart. But then in the documentary, the actor who I just then learned was an actor for Will Richards fades out. Will Richards never existed. Shane was Will Richards. So my first instinct was correct. And that's just a reminder, whatever your first instinct tells you is probably right. So she realizes that she had given all of her passwords, all of her bank information to Shane. And she's like, oh crap. Shane is like, I need you to send me another $50,000. And she says, no, I'm not gonna do that. But he has all her information. So he just takes the money anyway. Personally, I'm shocked that she has any money at this point, genuinely. So they are talking to the guy that sold her the restaurant, this Jeffrey guy. And he's supposed to meet with a third-party investor that she had found. She said she vetted. And she's like, this person really wants to invest in the restaurant. We clearly need the investors. And he's like, cool, no problem. I'll meet with this person. The guy's name is Michael Caledonia, wants to buy out the restaurants or at least invest in them and obviously get some return for his investment. They speak on the phone, but they never meet because this Michael dude never shows up, misses his flights, mixes up the time zones, whatever, for whatever reason, never shows up. Sarma reveals that Michael Caledonia is yet another alias, and they had just lied to the person who had sold her the restaurant in good faith. At this point, the restaurant is again suffering, The workers are again not being paid, and so they strike. And it seems obvious from outside perspectives that Shane is running a scam. The restaurant was doing fine before a dude came along, and now all of a sudden, we have no money to run the restaurant. But they also think that she should have known better. Like, you are the owner of this place. It is your responsibility to make sure everything runs as it should, and you're not taking care of this. At this point, she vanishes. She just completely disappears, goes AWOL. There are unpaid wages and unpaid taxes, and she just vanishes. 
Part four is called Everything Will Be Fine. Sarma begins the episode by saying, we weren't on the run. You know, we just disappeared for a little while. But her father, who's also interviewed for the show, is like, so what is it called when you take all the money out of the restaurant that's left and you leave? And also, by the way, like, you were going by a different name. You were going by Emma Donovan. So how is this not being on the run? Sarma says that her and Shane drove around together, drove around the U.S. with their false names, and they ended up in Vegas. He made money for them using slot machines, and she had, like, what was left of the money out of the restaurant. And during this time, he would only give her a couple hundred dollars at a time so she could, like, eat or buy clothes or whatever. But she didn't actually have access to any of the money at this time, and he had all of her bank info, so he kind of didn't need her permission anymore. I was also kind of confused about, like, if you had her bank information way back when you introduced her to this quote-unquote Will Richards person, why didn't you just take that and go? Like, why didn't you just drain her her stuff and then, and then just leave her? Like, I don't understand why you would keep this person around because it kind of seems like more of a liability trying to convince someone to partake in the scheme with you rather than just scam them and leave. So at this point, the documentary becomes very clear that Sarma or tries to portray Sarma as a victim of psychological abuse. I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. And she, she says like she was alone most of the time and they were in Vegas so long she had to go like buy clothes. She was cut off from everyone. She wasn't chained down, but she wanted to leave, but she didn't. She just hated being around him. They had to get two rooms because she didn't want to be in the same room as him. And I'm just like, I don't know. To me, like, it seemed like she helped the situation to get here. And now that she's here, she doesn't know what to do. In this episode, they show videos that Anthony had taken of Sarma clearly in the middle of mental breakdowns. She spends a lot of time in bed. She is crying in the shower. She's clearly just not doing well, you know? She talks about, he's like, well, why don't you take your phone and go and and like get out of the hotel room? And she's like, I don't want to see my phone because I don't want to see all the messages that you have sent pretending to be me. I do think that it's a little suspicious that he takes all these videos. Like, it seems like... I don't know. It seems like very incriminating. Why were you taking videos of of your wife saying all these things? You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand why we're collecting evidence against ourselves. Super weird. So at this point, Shane is also getting money from Sarma's mother. He has brought her into his spider's web and her mother is like, okay, so I'm sending you all this money for Sarma, but where the heck is my daughter? And Shane is like, I'm sorry, you can't talk to her. She's under psychological stress right now. Her family is eventually like, we either talk to our daughter right now or we're calling the police. And he's like, okay, no problem, no problem. And they do like a hostage style phone call where Shane is like, okay, so here's Sarma. And then Sarma was told, you have to say that everything is fine. So they are on the run for 10 months. During this time, he is still making her get money from other people. She eventually gets like 60 grand from a friend who doesn't really ask too many questions. These are, I mean, this is like big checks, you know? For me, I'm all for helping somebody, but 
I'm like, okay, so you need how much money? You need $60,000? Like, what is happening here? I would need to be told a very convincing story. I would have a lot of questions for that kind of money. At the end of the 10 months, they're driving back to New York. And they stop at a gas station. And she's like, okay, what if I just leave him here? But then she's like, well, what did he actually do wrong? Like, we're married. I gave him the money of my own free will. And it is kind of a sticky situation. So they're driving from New York. They stop in New York for one day and then drive to Tennessee. They end up near the Dollywood area. By this point, an investor has pressed charges. And the money that has been stolen and clearly not used to invest in the business is felony level. So a warrant is issued for both Sarma and Anthony slash Shane. Anthony calls Nazim, Nazim says this, and tells him that the gig is up. Again, Nazim is Anthony 2.0. I'm sorry to say. In Tennessee, they use a credit card to order food from Domino's Pizza, which makes me really want Domino's right now, by the way. The Domino's is contacted by the police. They're like, hey, like we saw credit card activity. Did you deliver to these people? And they're like, yeah, we delivered to this hotel. So police go to this hotel, set up this whole ruse to make Anthony come out of the room, arrest Anthony, and then go up to the room to get Sarma. They describe Sarma as very thin, very frail. They confirm her identity with the tattoo on her arm, and she seems very relieved that it's over. The officers bring her down, and they're like, hey, you can, you know, hug your husband goodbye. And she says, do I have to? And Shane is like, you need to get yourself a lawyer. The people in her life, once they find out that she's been arrested, are like, I'm glad she's safe, or I'm glad that we can take care of this issue. There are people who are very mad at her, who she's stolen wages from, or she's like flat out stolen money from. She's in jail for 10 days, and while she's there, she claims she still loves Shane. So at that point, I'm like, okay, I'm starting to see like the the signs of abuse, you know what I mean? Like you clearly are in a situation you can't get yourself out of, but you feel this attachment to this person who has hurt you over and over and over for like four or five years at this point. So she's taken out of the jail with Anthony. They're flown with marshals to New York and they're transferred to Rikers. And on the way, she describes that she really wanted to talk to him and see like what the plan was. Like, am I going to be okay? Are you taking care of this? But she didn't really have an opportunity and he didn't really give her the opportunity. Finally, she realizes that dude is not going to help her at all. She calls her sister from Rikers and she's like, look, this is what happened. And her sister tells her, yeah, so mom gave Anthony $400,000. And Sarma is like devastated that this has happened. But she also feels like she's bonded with her mom in this way because we kind of both fell for this scheme and we're both in this situation together. Sarma is bailed out by her family, and she spends the next year kind of fighting her case. Shane is not bailed out by anyone, but it seems like he's still able to convince people to give him money because his, like, phone card and whatever is full of cash. So the charges against Sarma are, like, grand larceny, criminal tax fraud. They find out that Anthony spent millions of dollars at casinos, and Jeffrey, the original guy who sold her the restaurant, he would not testify for her. He's like, I don't really know you at this point, um, and I'm, I'm kind of pissed about the situation. But Anthony's ex-wife, Stacy, she did write a letter to the judge telling them, like, this is how Anthony is. This is what happened to me. 
Obviously, Anthony's attorney is denying that he did anything. He says that Sarma is running the operation and what have you, which is, I mean, classic. But Sarma has evidence of his psychological abuse and fraud. And then they circle back to, like, her veganism, um, which I think is, like, kind of a weird thing to focus on. But I do know that some people who are vegan, like, that is a personality trait. So maybe that's just kind of how the interview went. And she was adamant that the Domino's pizza and wings were not for her. She did not eat them. Still vegan. Wanted everyone to know that. Um, And it seems like her being vegan set this, like, precedent that she thinks that she's better than everyone. Like, she's morally superior. And it made people want to tear her down more. At least that's how it is portrayed. So Anthony is charged with the grand larceny and the tax fraud, but he's never charged with taking money from Sarma's mother, which is wild to me. Like 400 grand, I'm getting that back. Thank you. So they both take a plea deal, Anthony and Sarma. Sarma's plea deal, which is what they focused on, was four months in prison, five years probation. And before Sarma goes to prison, she actually sets up an interview for this whole situation, like as a precaution for a future documentary. And she talks about the psychological damage and whatever. This to me feels super sus because I'm like, right, so you're going to prison and the thing on your mind the week before is to make a documentary? I don't know. Super weird. Some feel like she's responsible. Some feel like it wasn't her. It was the abuse. She was in over her head and couldn't see a way out of it. And people are relating it to Patty Hearst. Patty Hearst was kidnapped at 19 and ended up robbing a bank with this cult that she was kidnapped by. And people wonder if she should be held responsible for her actions or not because she was brainwashed. So if Sarma was brainwashed, could she still be found guilty for the things that she did? I think yes personally. And that's coming from someone who's obviously not in this situation. I've never been scammed like that, knock on wood, right? But like that's never happened to me. I've never been in that in that place. So I can't say from my personal experience that I shouldn't be held responsible if I actually do something. And this kind of calls into question people's defenses sometimes in court proceedings of saying that I was brainwashed or I have a mental illness or whatever. And if you do have these things, I think that there there should be a way, if there isn't, to, to determine this and say that this is for certain rather than, oh, I'm a serial killer and I killed all these people because I have a mental illness. I don't know. For me personally, I, I think that she should be held responsible. Toward the end, it, it seemed very clear that she was in an abusive situation And I do know that that can be hard to get out of, but I'm just like, okay, so should we just be like, oh, just kidding. You know, like you don't have to pay the $6 million debt that you ended up accumulating by stealing money from people. I don't know. But they do say at the end of the documentary that two years after she's released from prison, she and Anthony reconnect over the phone. And Anthony is like, something is in the works. And she laughs or whatever. Why the heck would you ever speak to this person? If if you're telling me that you were in an abusive situation and now your whole life is tarnished, you cannot ask people for money again because obviously you were involved in this, this whole fraud scandal. So your whole reputation is tarnished and yet you're still going back to this dude? This dude? I mean, like, let's be honest. There are so many other dudes on the planet. So for me, I'm just like, I don't know. It kind of seems like 
like some people said, like, what if she was behind it, you know, and what if they worked together and this was the plan, but they got in over their heads and then she flipped it around to, oh, it was abuse. I can't say for certain, but I do feel like this, this documentary should have been half the time, max. I think it could have been easily like an hour and a half, like a, a movie length versus four hour-long segments. I do not think that that was necessary at all. Not even close. And honestly, I would rate this thing like one star out of 10. I would not watch it again. I would not tell anyone else that they should watch it. I think if you're curious about what happens, just listen to this episode because you do not need to waste four hours of your time when you can listen to the past like 30-40 minutes and just put that sucker on 2x speed and just get through it quick fast and find out what happens. I think that this whole thing is wild and I think that if anyone is telling you you are going to become immortal, you might want to just like take a second and ask yourself if this is someone that you want to be involved with, you know? So, on that note, we are about at the end of our time together. This is a really cool episode for me and I'd love to do these like monthly. So, if you have horrible shows that you want to know what happens, but you don't want to watch it. Like if you want to find out what happens in The Bachelor, for example, but you don't want to waste 10 weeks watching The Bachelor, I got you. I got you. I can definitely, I can definitely do that for us. So let me know. Send me a message, an email. You can find the Instagram and email address in the show notes. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, please consider leaving a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To stay up to date and even participate in future episodes, follow the podcast on Instagram at your so quiet pod, Y-O-U-R-E, so quiet pod. That's all for now. Okay, love you. Bye.